Hello and welcome to Chatting Fit, the podcast that gives you knowledge and opinions from the world of health and nutrition. Today is our 10th episode and we're speaking to a man who is no stranger to peak athletic performance. We're speaking to Al Hadnet, owner of Peak Fusion UK. Al started out as a personal trainer and swimming coach before he joined the RAF and became the lead physical training instructor. He attained the rank of sergeant and became responsible for delivering training at the highest level of all ranks and recruits, culminating as a joint military services senior trainer and was relied upon for delivering specialist coaching across the UK and US Special Forces. Through his company, Peak Fusion UK, Al now coaches, trains and consults with individuals to optimise their athletic performance. To name just a few of Al's own athletic achievements, he has a 9 hour 34 minute Ironman, a 2 hour 45 minute marathon and a sub 10 hour 100k ultramarathon. This man is a beast. Right, hi Al, thanks for joining me. Nice to meet you Finn, thanks for having me. Could you start by just um, telling everyone who's listening a little bit about yourself, uh, your background and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so uh, I'm a 40 year old male. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, a coach, call myself a high performance coach. Uh, my background is mainly in adventure and endurance sports. Um, compete at a reasonable amateur at sort of long distance endurance events, mainly triathlon, sort of ultra running, um, but also do quite a bit of climbing, mountaineering. Uh, my background sort of from uh, sort of teenage, early 20s has always been in, in coaching, coaching swimming, coaching running, um, a little bit of martial arts, boxing mainly. Um, and life sort of steered me towards the armed forces where I worked as a physical trainer for just over 12 years, um, mainly with Air Force and some Army Marines, sort of joint service work towards the back end of my career. Um, always based remotely, working in sort of mountainous environments. As I said earlier, that was my sort of my forte, sort of mountain sport. Um, and then when I left the services seven, six, seven years ago, yeah, it'd be about seven years now, um, started working for myself. So I set up my own platform, Peak Fusion UK, to aim um, all of my expertise in the adventure and endurance world to, to the masses. Um, <laughs> my, my whole idea was to sort of give people free a free avenue of information on my website where they could learn a little bit for themselves, um, but also offer a, a broader range of services that would, what I see as a quite a, an open market, a wide, diverse market in the fitness industry, um, offer something that would meet the needs of most people, whether they were, you know, somebody wanting to lose weight or somebody wanting to train for their, you know, a first their first event or working with those high performing amateurs and elites. And as I sort of put in the same bracket, people that are already successful in other walks of life, whether they're sort of CEOs, company directors, and they need a coach that's going to give them that input to to manage their time better to achieve something outside the office. Um, yeah, uh, family man, got a daughter, mm. wife, um, everyone's outdoorsy. Um, yeah, I mean, anything else you want to know? I mean, okay. Well, yeah, we're going <laughs> to... I don't yeah. usually get the opportunity to talk about myself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Go on and on and on. Um but what I want to know is, is when you start working with someone, because you try and take people from their current level and you try and elevate that level yeah. um, to, you know, either we want to say peak performance or to their optimal level of performance. But what are your what are your go to tools for where you peg someone in terms of where they're starting um, and how you see 
uh, the sort of most efficient methods of getting them to where they want to go? How do you go through that process? Yeah, so quite lucky that I'm I'm a coach. That's my that's been my career choice from a very early age. So it's very much second nature for me to meet somebody and get a feel for that person off the bat. So the sort of the standard protocol would be to to establish like you are with me, you know, who are you? What's your backgrounds? What's your training history? Um, work out what their their long term goal is, you know. So typically, a lot of people these days they want to they want to lose a bit of terry, they want to lose a bit of weight. Um, they've probably done quite a bit of reading in different areas, so they've already come with with an idea of what they want to do. Um, I'm quite cutthroat in my coaching um, di- sort of direction, where I try to see straight through all the nif-naf, all the crap that most people turn up with that they've already been told by you know, trainers online or the, the local trainer down the gym, um, stuff they've seen on adverts on TV. And I'll straight away, once I've established who they are, what they've done, where they wanna go, then straight away we can say, right, okay, well, nutrition, diet, we can, we can look at this. Um, if they say keto, then I'll say, right, let's maybe look at something else um, because we could go off in so many, um, tangents with the different dietary options that are there and keto is quite vogue mm. at the moment for a lot of people trying oh, to lose yeah. weight um if they're an endurance athlete or they want to get into um longer duration type aerobic activity then straight away i'll streamline them down maybe something like a, a math method or some intensity training um backed by the likes of sort of steven sailor where you look at sort of the 80 20 rule a lot more low intensity training mm. whereas if it's somebody who's maybe wanted to hit the gym, put on some pounds, then we might take a different approach there with what they're doing in the gym. Um, but it's it's all about, from from my aspect, is being able to read very quickly that individual um, and make that initial assessment in a short period of time so that from the off, we can be going on the, the right tangent that I'm trying to lead. Um, whereas with maybe somebody who's a bit more of a high-performing amateur or more an elite athlete, now they're coming with a lot more uh, support from the infrastructure they've had through their career to that point in time. So they're coming with a lot more credible knowledge. They've already had input from other specialists, coaches, etc., mm. etc. Et and with those individuals, then you might be able to put more ownership to them. You're still a coach, but you're giving them a bit more ownership based on what they understand so that they can mould some of their own day-to-day training and routines. Mm. Because this is where the differences with people that are already successful, particularly in, in sport and fitness and wellness, they have a lot of these habits, or as I like to call sort of positive habits, positive systems, in place. Their routines are very different because they've grown up or they've gone through a period of time with that as the norm day to day. Whereas most people, they, they haven't. They've got a goal. Um, so it is, as I said at the start, it's about understanding where they've been, where are they now, what's the goal, right, yeah. let's let's get you on that positive road to that success. Yeah, yeah. And I I mean, I, I did I did do a little bit of research on you, of course, before I had you on the call. So <laughs> I, mean, I, I was really curious about how you've made the transition from training people who are clearly very dedicated in the RAF or the armed forces and who are used to those habits and yeah. routines and those routines have been drilled in and drilled in and drilled in. And, and to my mind, it's much easier to train someone who's willing to take direction and who is used to taking direction than someone who is not used to changing their diet or being told what to do with their diet or has very poor habits so transitioning from getting like a yes sir 
to a why do I need to do this to get a result? Like, how have you managed that? Yeah, so first off, Air Force is a bit more pink and fluffy than, than your average sort of Army, <laughs> Marine, troop. Um, so in the Air Force, it is a bit more nicey-nicey, softy-softy approach. So you do have a bit more dialogue. Um, it's a lot less, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. Um, yeah, you're right, working with uh, commandos. I was lucky that I worked with Special Forces for a few seasons as well in my last few years. Completely different animal. They'll, they'll, they'll listen, engage, um, and pick things up like that. In Civvy Street, you still get people like that. You know, unbelievably, a lot of people like that, particularly um, high performers, like sort of CEOs, company directors, managers, um, and, and a lot of young sprogs out there who've probably had the right guidance through their parenting teachers. So there are still, you know, without... Um, doing everybody a disservice and saying most civvies they they need to kick up the bum and <laughs> um but yeah to answer your question which is what i know where we're going is that i'm lucky that i worked as a trainer before i joined the forces so i knew what civvy street was like i was 21 when i joined the air force and i was quite uh i was older for my time if you like so i've always had that ability to sort of relate to things like the you know you've got the behavioral change model so you understand when people are sort of contemplating making changes in their life um, when they're sort of falling back or falling off the, the wagon, when they've already made some and maintained some good positive habits, um, really, it's you know, it's it's just about keeping on top of individuals. So those that are a bit more likely to to relapse, give them a motivation regularly, and that's why it's great to have tools like Garmin Connect, Strava, and some of these other apps that are out there where you can dip in and see what people are and aren't doing um, within your sort of coaching sphere. Mm. But yeah, really, it's it's about repeating, and it can happen with some clients where you're you're kind of saying the same thing again and again. Mm. But it's having the armory to be able to say it in a different way, um, and understanding that sort of emotional intelligence. That whilst I'm quite a, a direct person, very driven myself, and you know I say it as it is. It's knowing sometimes that even I have to sort of rein it in and change my tact to mm. meet the. The demeanor of the person that I'm working with um, but coaching is a relationship you know you know yourself having sort of work with individuals you you know sometimes it works sometimes mm. it doesn't I've, I've had clients where we, we've gone for a bit and then we've gone you know what let's not necessarily call it a day but let's maybe you know have a go at changing it if not I recommend you maybe try try this method mm. or, or this person you know and that's that's one of the great things about coaching is normally you will have that um that tool that tool set or those connections where you can do that certainly a head coach would do working with a you know an olympic elite squad they'll have a whole stream of specialists and other coaches around them where they can you know steer athletes in different directions if if it's not working for them or if they need the knowledge from that that certain area mm. um, yeah yeah, hopefully that answers your question yeah Phil. more or less more or less i think um <laughs> i mean i i, I it varies. From, I imagine it varies from person to person within the services as well. Within the RAF, you've got more people, some people who are dedicated to their fitness and some people who are in more maybe desk-bound jobs that are less dedicated to their fitness, their health, their nutrition. Yeah, and, and on that, we've got my time in the forces, as I was saying, um, been out seven, eight years now. And when I joined in 2000, right at the start of 2003, there, there was Afghan had just kicked off Iraq two, 
Um, society was, we, you know, the term millennials was being used quite a lot, and we used to talk called the PlayStation generation. So, a lot of the people that were being recruited, and there's no discredit to them, they were they were very different um, in my sort of later years than than the years that I joined and the years that preceded. In the sense that people were generally less active; they weren't doing as much PE at school. Parents particularly weren't as active as maybe my parents were and your parents. So it was. The approaches we were using on a, even within the military on a sort of a, a month to month, year to year basis were, were changing slightly to try and ensure that we were retaining the people we were recruiting, you know, so they would get more time off um, on weekends. You know, the, mm-hmm. the physical training we were delivering was not necessarily as, as arduous. Um, I mean, the amount of punishments uh, we used to call them. Uh, <laughs> You know, like how many press ups you you know you dish out for somebody for for not towing mm. the line, or how many squats, or you know an extra mile at the end of the run. You know, it's, you couldn't do it as much in my later years as you could at, at the beginning because you know they recruits had more rights if you like. You know, was, yeah. they were allowed to question yeah. more, and that's that's the way the world is going. Whether that's a good or a bad yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting, um, and you're right. There's different trades within the armed forces, so you go. In the Air Force in itself, um, the way that you approach a sedentary trade that's maybe more desk-bound would be very different from a trade that's out on the grounds regularly and, and traveling regularly yeah. and maybe used to doing a lot more physical activity just to pass the time. Exactly. I mean, do, do you think we're encouraging people to be average? Yeah, I, I've had this conversation a lot. And ever since we started a, you know, cheering more for last place than we did for first place, it's is that where's the value in that winning medal anymore, mm. you know? And when you take that massive moment for an individual who's just come first place or second or third, and you can potentially overcast that with celebrating everybody on the same page, where what happens to that human instinct, that competitive edge that is, is in all of our DNA? Mm. Um, and yeah, we're seeing now through, <laughs> let's not go too much into politics yet, but with all the different things that are being portrayed in the media now with, you know, um, I'm all for equality and diversity, but if you start really sort of front loading a lot of subject matter and trying to tarnish everybody is, you know, you're all the same, you can all achieve everything. Um, doesn't matter whether you come first or last, it's, it's, you know, what happens then to the standards in, not just in sport and in fitness, but in, in health, wellbeing, productivity in the workplace. And I think in the last couple of years, we've, we're potentially now starting to see that society is, you know, it is changing. And we, we had a little conversation just before we came on about, you know, you could be on the phone to somebody, somebody at an energy company, an insurance company, and it is very different now to two, three years ago in how the, don't say the professionalism, but yeah. the, the quality of service is very different. Yeah. Not everybody, but you know, there is, it is notable to me, certainly. Um, but yeah. yeah, but back to my world, coaching, trying to get somebody to to achieve, to, to have a, a branch of success. I think for me, I've, I certainly haven't changed the way that I operate. And a lot of that just comes down to the fact that I'm, I'm a motivated, driven person. I've got a business to, to maintain, mm-hmm. um, a roof to keep over my head. And as long as I can keep my clients happy, then I keep everybody else yeah. in my sphere happy. Yeah. Um, and, and onwards we go. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I often find like even engaging with this the political discourse and engaging with the sort of social discourse around you know what's changing in our society is more far more poisonous to the head 
than actually just focusing on your like one meter squared around you you know what can you do in your yeah. community what can you do in your business what can you do like in this day in this 24-hour period to you know push yourself forward because there's so many people my parents generation 100 percent included who will sit and they'll have either bbc news running the whole day they'll have cnn running the whole day if you're in uh, if you're in north america um, and then they'll be reading either The Guardian or The Times or like The Telegraph or some of these big mainstream news out- outlets that are spouting exactly the same thing. And I don't think I've ever read some of the main articles and come away feeling better than I had done before I started the article. Like almost 100% of the time I come away with a little bit more fear or a little bit more anxiety about where the world is yeah. heading. And once I remove that from my sort of digital or, or mental diet... I feel a hundred percent better. I feel, I feel like tangibly better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. And it's, um, you know, we, the media, they like to sensationalize a lot of negative aspects of, of the world around us. You know, that's, that's what, you know, fear drives uh, attention. Uh, and for media, more attention is, is more revenue for advertising. You know, anybody that doesn't, doesn't know that needs, um, <laughs> needs to definitely watch less things on the box and do a bit more research into what the media actually is all about um, and has always been ever since its its inception you know for you know we're going going back centuries now of of potential for um, manipulating the Mm. masses Um, yeah I like to think of myself as pretty well read I've always been interested in in current affairs and and politics and what's happening not just in the UK but globally Mm. which is why um, I mean one of the the first things that you sort of said when you got in touch with me to come and do this pod with you today was you know you've, you've seen that you you like and share some of the same content that, that I do. And so clearly we're on the same page with a lot of things mm. that are happening in the world. Um, but I like to feel that I'm well grounded in most subjects that I read into. Mm. Um, and if I share something online, that's probably because I feel confident in in what that article is saying or in what I'm mm. saying. Um, because I think we are in a world now that is being hugely steered by by the big global superpowers. Mm. Um, people that haven't heard of Vanguard, BlackRock, you know, and a lot of the big corporates that all fall under their massive umbrella. Mm. It's, it's yeah. alarming to think, you know, this is, there's big things happening. There's big things at play in the world. And thankfully, we've seen the last two years, a lot of, um, in the medical fraternity, a lot of people stand up to be counted. You know, mm. so your Robert Malone's, your, 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 yeah. your Peter McCullough, um, you, know, yeah. you probably know Steve James in the UK, the NHS doctor. There's so many that have yeah. all, all yeah. ri- risen up through the you know, Great Barrington Declaration, the, the Together Declaration yeah. in the UK. Um, mm. So, I mean, and it, that's I think that's why we've seen a back end to the COVID pandemic and a lot of countries have come out and started to see the light because of the, the bastion approach of a lot of these individuals who have, have stood tall. I mean, in, Um, in a way it gets, yeah, to come back to, in in a way it gives me a bit of hope because it makes me feel like there's sort of a built in bullshit immune system that most people have. And it takes a little bit of time to kick in, but, the sort of yeah. you get the first people who put their head it's above the parapet. Natural immunity. Natural <laughs> immunity. Yeah, exactly. Funny buzzword yeah. there. But like people, people who put their head above the parapet and obviously are the first ones to get shot, and then more and more people start putting their head above the parapet and saying, "Look, we think this, this, you know, this certain government move is wrong, or this agenda is wrong, or this 
Um, this dogma in society is wrong. And there's, of course, a hell of a lot of pushback because there's a lot of vested interests. But it is almost like a natural immune system where you're seeing, um, you know, T cells or whatever, that they're seeing where the issues are coming from. It might take time. And there's definitely a, like yeah. the, 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 the sort of powers that be, sort of people in government, people in power, they'll do a lot of damage before that can kick in. But it has given me a lot of hope that we've had the unwinding of lockdowns and the unwinding of, of a lot of these, um, a lot of the narratives that we've seen. I mean, not to say that they're not going to be trying to kick, kick back up again, um, but certainly to see people who are actually maybe not in the full positions of power, but certainly people who have big followings who are coming out and saying, you know, it's wrong to keep people locked in their homes for an extended period of time. Um, I'm just amazed that it that it went on for as long as it did. Um, and I mean, maybe it feeds back to um, the sort of mediocrity whereby a lot of people said, oh, you know what, actually, I've got the opportunity to stay at home. The government are just going to give me money. So it's actually no issue for me. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's good. I, even if I do disagree with it, you know, who am I to say? Because I'm not in that position of power. I don't have the authority. And you can take that stance very easily when you're, you know, the roof of your head isn't being threatened and, you know, you're not locked in a very small room at the top of a 25-story council, council building. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, fingers crossed we don't get any more of that. But in terms of, um, like, your time in not to keep bringing it back to your time in the military or the time in the RAF like you said there were a couple of comments on your website that said you kind of felt held back or you kind of felt that it was difficult to speak truth to power it was difficult to say your voice and you were kind of held back a little bit in certain areas by being so direct so can you tell me a little bit more about that um yeah I'm not sure what you're alluding to off the bat there Finn but yeah definitely um Everybody knows in the armed forces, you know, there's a rank structure and then within your trade, you know, you obviously got um, different specialist areas that you can delve into. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I was being held back in the armed forces, probably more I'd I kind of peaked. Um, I was a sergeant, which is kind of middle of the middle of the road, middle mm. manager. Um, I had a whole array of qualifications in um, coaching, outdoor pursuits. A lot of them were sort of top level awards, particularly in um, climbing and mountaineering, um, numerous uh, fitness awards. I've done a degree in sort of outdoor leadership mm. with a heavy sort of involvement on um, sports science. And yeah, just it was it just felt like the right time to to go because at some point in you know in anyone's lives, if you're wanting to to make a success of yourself and achieve your ultimate potential you you have to be in an organization that allows that to happen or you you, you know you, you go off and do it on your own steam and when you're in a, in the military you know you could be sent anywhere to to work so i was you know when i finished in the forces i was in north wales um potentially going to be moved back to a main operating unit back into a like a, a gym environment that maybe was working well within myself um, and being driven. I wanted to be continuing on the tangent that I was on, which was um, developing people that wanted to, to achieve, you know, high performance, you know, having done sort of three years of working with other physical trainers to make them specialists in outdoor pursuits, having worked with Royal Marine commandos, 
um, PTIs from all services, special forces from you know, the UK, the US, mm. and other um, overseas forces. It was, yeah, it was just it was just that time to go. You know what? I've I've done my time. I've done enough. And yeah, let's let's go down um, and and find my own green pastures, as uh, as the saying goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was no there was no real. I mean, there were a couple of incidents in my last couple of years that sort of helped me make that decision. Where I thought, you know what? I've yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm ready to go. Um, there were other people like me in the forces. There still are that are quite outspoken and and like to push push the bar and maintain those those higher standards. Mm. But as I was saying earlier, you know, in society and in the forces during my time where things became a lot more softer, nicer um, and catering more for the needs of the individual that was being recruited, there was definitely a, you know, um, a change in in the output requirement for for much of the business as usual. So, yeah, those things all just led me to to make that that decision um and you know like anybody would say who's left the forces it was um it wasn't an easy decision um and there are lots of elements that that i that i do miss from from being in that armed forces family particularly after my sort of childhood upbringing and having never really had that um that support structure around you in in Mm. people um but yeah it's I don't know. We've all got a path to walk, haven't we? And uh, I'm, a, I'm one of these big believers that you know we've all got a, a way in life that's potentially predetermined to a degree. And you know we just you make decisions, and as long as you've got the the ability to to be accountable by the decisions you make yourself, which is you know a big thing that I speak with a lot of clients, um, and that's why a lot of people in sort of elite athletes and high performers are successful is you know they take accountability themselves mm. for for every decision they make. Yeah. Um, yeah, accountability. So yeah, not pointing the fingers at anybody. <laughs> understanding consequences is one of the biggest things. I mean, because there's so many misconceptions yeah. in information, it's understanding. You know that the that eating pasta all the time isn't necessarily a healthy food, and like you know, so like all of these different things, or having like sandwiches or or, or really bready stuff when you're not training, and when your your, your food is dominated by simple carbohydrates rather than you know vitamin rich or nutrient rich foods um you know it's, it's difficult for someone who hasn't got even a, a little bit of nutrition knowledge that that's where they're going wrong and the same with same with training something like you know going in and understanding that cardio isn't necessarily the be-all and end-all for for weight loss in fact it's yeah. it's in my in, in my eyes and the most efficient way to get there like it, it's one of the minimal parts it plays um so like I think I think there's a lot of issues in society where people have great intentions, but the execution is poor and understanding that there are consequences to the actions that they think are positive actions. Um, you know, so I think I think one of the biggest issues is information seeking people actually going out and and trying to find out what is the best course of action rather than finding a little bit of information and thinking that they know the whole subject. I think there's, I can't remember what the, the, the uh, theory of it is. It's like a little bit of information is very dangerous because you think you know everything. And then the more information you know, the actual less you think you know, until eventually you, you yeah, do become got, an expert. Um, but. Yeah, you've, you've got the Dunning-Kruger That's effect. It. So That's it's, it. uh, the, the, more, the more you know, um, the less you realize, you know, you, you do actually, yeah. <laughs> you do actually know. And the less you know, the more you think yeah. you know. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of um, some you know, models like simple um, visual cues that people can can relate to. I've created a couple myself that just help to steer people of all abilities down. You know, where to um, where to look at, where to actually identify with to 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 achieve whatever goals it is that they're working towards. Um, some of the models are geared a bit more towards those that are already taking part in you know, different sort of sports, endurance sports. Um, but ultimately, anybody who tries to be a healthier human at some point on their journey towards that that success, that end goal, they are going to become like uh, an athlete, you know, because we're all, you know, it's, it's in our, all our DNA to be an athlete, to be to be strong, to have good endurance capability, um, and to, to fuel ourselves properly, to be able to go for periods of time with without eating between meals, between days, because um, that is when we're operating you know, efficiently. Mm. <laughs> um, For sure. And you mentioned, mentioned some of those models there. I know you've got the, your, uh, it's your peak performance pentagram. Um, can yeah. you talk us through a little bit of the, the, the sort of five key areas of that um, and how you relate that to people yeah, and so how they the, start? Yeah, so I think what I'll say first off the bat is anybody who's, wanting to improve themselves as a human being you know we're all human um where what can they emulate the people that are already a bit more successful doing whether that's in work sport health um well as i mentioned earlier routine is is key so it's it's doing the things regularly the positive habits and it's setting those slightly higher standards with those habits from from where they are today and where they were yesterday and taking account, as I was saying a moment ago. So that peak performance pentagram is about um, six key areas. So recovery, uh, mobility, nutrition, exercise intensity, strength training and and mind, mental health, uh, mental tools. And then when you delve into each of those different subject headings, um, or key elements as I like to call them. So recovery is kind of top of the list because if you're not recovering, and I don't just mean sitting there with your feet up, there's lots of things we can do to aid recovery, you know, like a you know, a high performing amateur elite sports person, someone you know, they might be throwing money at numerous therapists to help them recover day to day between sessions. Then nutrition, they'll be, you know, optimizing their recovery through better quality nutrients, like you were saying a moment ago. They'll be thinking about, right, what can I do to, to relax more? Should I take a daytime nap? You know, sleep is a big part of recovery, probably the biggest part. So there's lots of things for that key element. Mobility is about being mobile. It's not just about, you know, running, cycling, swimming, hitting the gym, going climbing, mountain sport, whatever it might be. It's about just moving more. And, you know, one of the rules of thumb I say with a lot of endurance athletes is, you know, for for every hour that they're doing some kind of metabolic conditioning, you know, it's they've got to try and find 10, 15 minutes where they, they do some mobility work. And that might be part of that session or it might be a different time to the day because even exercising has its negative effects on the body. You know, if you if all we ever did was sit on a bike in a you know time trial position and rode day in, day out, well, guess what? You're probably going to get some tight hamstrings, tight hip flexors. You know, you're probably going to need to start doing a bit of work down the posterior chain, down the back of the body. So there's a lot that comes into sort of mobility work to negate some of the, the negative effects as well as to, to combat any potential overuse injuries that are going to creep in later down the line. Nutrition, crikey, can of worms there with so many different concepts and fads and you know, we've touched on it a little bit already. Um, for me, nutrition's about eating what the body needs for, for recovery, 
for fueling the exercise session that's going to come or during that exercise session uh, for growth, you know, no matter what your age and obviously depending on whether we're male, female, as we get older, then we might start to change things a little bit. Depending on where we are in the world, we might have slightly different um, foodstuffs available to us, uh, you know, and that is probably going to become more apparent, you know, through the next couple of years with all this sort of climate change mm -hmm. and looking at carbon footprint of shipping avocados from yourself down there in Mexico yeah. all the way back yeah, to the yeah. UK. We'll keep, you know, we'll at keep some them point here, thanks. Gonna go, Hang on a minute, what's, what's the detriment of this monocrop plantation doing that's covering however many thousands of hectares in Mexico? Yeah. And, you know, you've got someone sat drinking their latte in Starbucks in London whilst they're down in a sandwich with a few slices of avocado in it, you know, and it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things that need to be addressed on mm. nutrition. But for me, I sell a lot of um, and I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a nutritionist, but I've done a lot of um, courses, quals in those areas. But I, I'm a big advocate of TRE, sort of time, restric time restrictive eating. Okay, fasting. Um, I'm yeah not necessarily for like long periods of time like several yeah. days but just you know you might you know i'll use myself as an example i wake up i train and then i'll have brekkie i've got a period of time before lunch and then a period of time before dinner and that dinner is a good few hours before i go to bed so my actual eating window is probably only 10 hours yeah. um, sometimes less sometimes a little bit more uh, as opposed to somebody who might wake up and then the moment they wake up you know maybe 5 6 a.m they're eating and they're grazing all yeah. day until last thing at night and they go to bed and all of a sudden they've got like a an 18 hour eating window yeah. <laughs> um, which is which leads down the path of never going into sort of parasympathetic nervous system being switched on so that rest and digest so more likely to have a bit of inflammation in the guts in the digestive tract mm. um, more which again has an impact on certain hormone levels and fat storing happening as opposed to the fat burning to keep it in simple mm. terms. Um, I mean, there's, there's so much you can talk on nutrition yeah. on the peak performance pentagram, especially, you know, with glycogen windows after training to refuel and optimize that recovery, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. What, what's, what, um, and then what's the other go to, what's your go to diet? What do you, how do you sort of categorize or what's your main staples? So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate of eating animal produce. So yes, like meat, it. dairy, yogurt, you know, you, mm. you, so, so, but not saying that that is the, you know, the only um, characteristic of the foods you're going to be eating. Oh, it must be animal yeah. produce. <laughs> um, you know, to, to use the sort of the, the analogy, you know, carbs, you know, you earn your yeah. carbs. Um, so somebody who's not training overweight and wanting to lose weight, not through doing exercise, then clearly for them, it's going to be a, a dietary thing. And they're probably going to want to avoid excessive carbs, those junk carbs that you're seeing in a lot of um, breads, pastas, mm. all the, you know, the, the junk that a lot of people in the Western world eat now, because we both appreciate that once those carbohydrates are being ingested and you're getting that insulin release that is down regulating your ability to to burn fats during that time and, and afterwards and if your glycogen stores are already full and you know thinking sort of type 2 diabetes down the down the line um or the early stages of of being becoming diabetic you know where you're just constantly on those sort of day-to-day -day carbohydrates regularly you're never actually maximizing the ability of your mitochondria to, to function mm. properly in, in burning fats just day yeah. to day. Um, so, so yeah, for me, it's, it's really about 
making sure I'm getting that good quality protein with a high bioavailability, which is what animal produce mm. gives us. Um, plenty of vegetables for you know more vitamins, micronutrients, um, a little bit of fruit, but not not over egging it. Obviously, I'm doing Hard a lot of training, both for endurance, you know, mm. sport as well as in the gym. So I will get away with yeah. more fruit and carbohydrates than than your average Joe. So when I'm periodizing my carbohydrate intake, and as I'm doing with with clients and athletes, it's it's steering them to make sure that they're having the additional carbohydrates when it's mm. needed. And you'll know when it's needed because your body will be will be craving them as, as an mm. athlete. People that crave carbohydrates set on their rusty dusty is because it's all they're eating and they're getting those highs and lows as we always relate yeah. to. Um, whereas as soon as they make that switch to complete proteins, animal produce that satiates the body, you know, triggers the enzyme activity and the hormones in the body to go, oh, wow, this human's given me the right sort of food. Uh, I don't feel hungry anymore because I've got what I need as far as the nutrients mm. go to replenish everything that's happening in the body, grow, repair, etc. Um, and lo and behold, you're not hungry for five, six, seven, eight hours. You know, it's, there's a reason why people look lean in, on the plains of Africa and Aboriginals yeah. and all these other tribes around the world that still eat as our hunter-gatherer Homo sapiens would have done millions of years ago. Yeah. They've they've not not lost that that animal instinct, that human instinct, and uh, we've all got canines, which should be the biggest indicator of all that there is a need to have some kind of meat in the diet. Um, might upset a few folks saying that, but that's no, a harsh no, reality. Think, back by I science. think that I think that pushback's already starting because we hear so much about like there's I I 100% believe there's too much focus on um, the 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 negatives of meat rather than the positives. And a lot of people are, yeah. are pushing back and saying, like, actually, meat is probably one of the only superfoods that we have. You know, you can't keep calling kale a superfood. You can't live on kale. Like, you can't keep calling yeah. broccoli a superfood. You can't live on broccoli. But, like, meat is one of the yeah. only things that has a full profile of nutrients within it. Um, and, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing more nutritionally dense and you get as much bang for your buck as meat. So there is there's Yeah, and obviously we're, we're talking... Yeah, and we're talking um, sort of grass-fed meat, organic, yeah, cho- you know, sure, what, sure. you know sustainably um, sourced, high-quality protein from that, as opposed to, you know, your your processed burger, sausage roll, whatever it might be from your local bakers or yeah, yeah fast food outlet, etc. Sure. So yeah, it's it's understanding that, and that that I think is where um, a certain movement, you know, whether you want to call it the vegan movement, you know, has kind of. They've taken the negative aspect of the processed meat, which I fully agree with, and certainly some farming methods could be a lot better. Um, I posted the other day just about um, a pig farm that's, that's that's gone up in China in the last couple of years. I think there's two million pigs that go through it every every year, and none those pigs they don't they don't see the light of day. They don't they don't get to you know wander roam yeah. free. And they're not grass fed. God knows what that goes into them, and then that meat's going into human beings. So, yeah, it's about, yeah, it's what you said, it's about the quality, yeah. the nutritional quality and that high density of, um, of bioavailability proteins and amino yeah. acids. Yeah, I mean, no, like that's the difficulty is, is again with, the, with everyone just going like, either what you're either with us or you're against us. There's no sort of middle ground where you're going, hang on, like good meat for good farming yeah. with good practices is good for everyone. Um, and it's good for local communities. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and done correctly is very very good for everyone yeah yeah and it's i suppose in some respects there has been some good that has come out of 
the last couple of years. So especially in some parts of the world where there are now food shortages because of supply chains, you know, companies have gone mm. bust, food companies have gone bust. Um, in the UK now, we're seeing a lot of rewilding. So a lot of farmers are selling their farms to government. And then, I mean, this is this is how crazy it is now, but obviously you're probably well aware um, through different carbon um, schemes, you big corporations can, can pay to plant trees and you to offset their own, yeah. you know, their carbon footprint. You yeah. think, well, okay, but ultimately the people that are losing out are those people that would have probably had some of those foodstuffs from that mm. farm, particularly in a, a local sure. area. And in Herefordshire, where I am, which is a massive or was a massive farming community, has been ever since sort of, well, predating the Second World War. And and now much of the farmland, it's it's all been rewilded, yeah. you know. So we, we're seeing now the, what was sustainable farming um, and local farming, local produce going to local people and towns and villages, it's, it's not now. And people are having to go to the big corporates, mm. the big supermarkets, or they're having to go for takeaways who are also pulling produce from these big corporates big corporate yeah. farms and these are the ones that these are the mammoths these are the giant scale farming methods the process farms the battery farms these are the ones that you know most of us would agree are not sustainable are not um you know the animal mm. welfare is is a lot lower than you know your, your average farm down yeah. the road small farm um, but when I was saying benefits coming out of it, people have been forced to start growing things yeah. at home. They're starting to look more locally to try and source yeah. other things. They're going to their neighbour for tomatoes or for some peppers or for some yeah. potatoes. Um, you know, people are buying in chickens and getting their own eggs. So there's yeah. there is some positives that are coming from it. It's just how far are we going to be squeezed into going back to our uh hunter gatherer selves where we would have been on a day-to-day -day basis all year yeah. round wandering around trying to find seeds fruits vegetables yeah you know killing animals yes yeah I mean, yeah and obviously it's different one country well to the we've, other. we've been um it's a governmental box ticking exercise to make us look like we're more green and more sustainable than we are because all we've done is outsource much of our yeah. industrial agriculture in terms of like monoculture wheat crops, monoculture, uh, rapeseed crops, um, monoculture ag agriculture to the big European plains. Um, and we're seeing the issues now because so much of the, the food is intertwined with um, large scale transport that we're seeing the issues of oil prices rising, you know, pushing the price of food up. Whereas, I mean, that would really be a, a, a fairly insignificant problem on a, on a very localized food system. Um, so hopefully that does push us back to and you know it comes back to like the sort of natural why i why it gives me hope is that it, the natural immune system of the world will naturally push us in the directions of the most efficient methods we might get pretty far down the path before we have a little catastrophe but that catastrophe will push us back in the right direction where we can have localized food systems and localized communities and stuff so people who rely on each other and i think we saw a bit of that in the pandemic with people rallying around each other to try and distribute food to each other and make sure people were okay. Yeah. I'm not sure how much that happened in the second lockdown. I think people were pretty bored of it by then. Um, but you know, <laughs> some, some of these, some of these things that crop up do give me a bit of hope. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's one thing that just has not been completely eradicated. And it's that, that human spirit, you know, that mm. we're, we're at the end of the day, human beings, we are, we are top of the food chain for you know, the only reason is because we have that cognitive function that is far superior to any other animal on earth 
Um, we are a community of people. We have grown hunting, gathering. We, the way that we've moved around and colonized the whole world is through communication by by living together you know all races all genders you name it across the mm. whole spectrum that we've got today we you know ultimately we, we wouldn't have countries like the us and the uk if it wasn't for all those people before us that have you know evolved and and created what 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 the you know the environment that, that we now have yeah. um but yeah i think you're right i think it's certainly about balance and i think there's there's more to come before we kind of find a, a happy medium again mm. 100%. And if you just keep keep taking us through, we've got a little sidetrack there, but we've got recovery, mobility, Yeah, sorry. Nutrition. So, you know, we just, obviously we touched on nutrition. <laughs> yeah. So um, exercise intensity. So, I mean, you, you touched on a little bit a moment ago with, you know, people that are overweight. Um, I'm, I'm for metabolic conditioning, for doing sort of cardiovascular aerobic work, no matter the, you know, the individual. So whether you're a strength athlete, you know, power athlete, whether you're, you know, you're an endurance athlete, clearly, you know, there's going to be a place for everybody to do some form of aerobic Correction, activity. I'm not, I'm it's not against it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about the, the intensity. So people that are overweight, there's going to be an intensity of exercise that is going to be more beneficial mm. for them for getting that uh, mitochondrial density up. So not just about, you know, getting more red blood cells to carry more oxygen, to be able to do that activity again, you know, better next time round. It's about, you know, that mitochondria, which is the, the gift of life in all of us, those tiny organelles in most cells of the body, particularly in muscle tissue and throughout our organs, you know, they are what ultimately metabolize fatty acids to create energy and, when you get the intensity right, whether you're an endurance athlete or an overweight individual, or you know somebody who's you know, a sprinter, depending on you know what the the goal is, that there is going to be an intensity that is better suited to that person to harness the mitochondria to get that mitochondrial biogenesis to create more of them to make them stronger. So the intensity is really about that. And a lot of people talk about the 80-20 rule. Well, I call it sort of more 90-10, where mm. The majority of work is lower intensity, so beneath um, the first lactate turn point, so LT1, as many people call that, or the ventilatory threshold, the first ventilatory threshold. So before lactate is starting to accumulate in in the body, um, and then that the other sort of 10 or 20 percent, depending on the individual, depending on the goals, the sport, that is where they're doing their their interval, their higher octane, higher intensity mm. work. Um, again, it's it's case by case. Um, so me personally, you know, most of my stuff is all conversational pace, all low intensity. Um, the great thing with that is you're allowing recovery process to st processes to still happen. You're less uh, susceptible to you know, developing overuse injuries. You're more energetic for, for the times that you need to go hard. So there's so many benefits to getting that balance mm. right with exercise intensity. Mm. And then we've got strength training. Um, which for me really is about helping to offset injuries, especially with endurance athletes. It's not just about creating strength and power for the activity. It's also about introducing um, a barrier against picking up injuries through sport or you know whatever the pastime is for the individual, um, as well as finding that balance in the body of you know any muscular imbalances that are creeping in as a result of the sport, which may end up in overuse injuries um, or or may not. And then lastly, you know, and, and no less uh, importance is mind health. You know, it's a massive topic mm. at the moment in society, has been for a few years now, mental health. And 
any elite athlete or high performing amateur, you know, that's 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 got on the podium and it's been close, they'll all tell you, you know, it's those final yards, it's it's all mind over matter, you know, who's got that experience behind them, who's been there before many times that can, can draw on those experiences, um, who's spent more time as you know, day to day of, you know, finding that opportunity to be mindfulness, to relax, you know, and, and keep the head straight. Mm-hmm who's taken the time to to go through mentally to prepare for the task at hand and one of the benefits of talking a lot about mental health is that we're becoming more aware of um, maybe how to to operate our minds better but then there are many negatives as well when all you ever do is harp on about mental health and the negativity surrounding Mm. that and yeah all we ever see is doom and gloom surrounding the topic in the media with stats on young people etc etc which just drives more in my opinion mental health issues um, especially if we start to dilute the whole yeah. subject but uh, but yeah that was the uh, the six yeah. cues on peak performance pentagram with a few tangents as we as yeah we went i mean well the, with the mind stuff and the meditation and and the or the mind stuff and the and the mental preparing i think there's there's a lot that comes down to you know we're so introspective now everyone's focused on themselves it's a very selfish society in my eyes. I mean, maybe, maybe that's changing a little bit, um, but very selfish. A lot of people are very self-focused and there is something that comes about with that self-focus that we maybe didn't have before where we were more focused on um, helping others. Um, that's not to say that everyone was focused on helping others pre this generation, but it's certainly people are very introspective. Social media has made us very focused on how we are perceived which in itself, um, I think, breeds anxiety and getting over that. It's almost yeah. like in, in the same tangent of physical, like how did, we, how did we move before we had this sedentary lifestyle that came about? And so like now we have to teach people to move, like yeah. <laughs> whereas before we just got up and we walked and we, you know, like toddled around and we lifted things and we squatted things and we threw things. And especially, I mean, thousands of years ago, um, that's not to say that every aspect of life was better then, but we were certainly better at just moving. Um, so I, th- I think the same thing is happening with, with the mental health. Like we've, we've strayed so far from the structures of society that gave us me- clearer mental health, you know, religion and spirituality and helping others and community and, and bonds with other people that we're having to relearn that. We're having to relearn, like, outreach to other people, check other people are okay. Um, there are studies that have come out saying that the, the more... There was a, there was a, a, significantly, a, a significantly... A statistically significant um, increase in, in the sort of mental health and wellness of people who um, they asked to focus on someone else's mental health rather than their own. So there's something powerful about focusing on others... And focusing on not yourself, which, you know, which I think is, is missed a little bit by a lot of mindfulness people and a lot of people who are focusing like, see how you feel right now. Like, what do you feel like trying to trying to generate a feeling out of nothing rather than sort of living yourself yeah, yeah. into better. Yeah, we're doing it with kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely it's I think it's a topic that's that's become quite diluted in the way that everybody's talking about it and there's no real a bit like the covid chapter there's no real experts that are allowed to speak out and and be questioned and and properly um you know 
offer information mm. to to the masses. Um, I mean, I've, I've my experience personally with mental health and working with clients who have or have had mental health problems um, currently and in the past. These are all they're all high performers. You know, a lot of people that have real legitimate sort of depressive illness. You know, serious anxiety. Um, they're, they're the go-getters of society. You know, they're. They, they, they're pushing their capacity. So you think about sort of comfort stretch panic models. They're, they're always, they work a lot in stretch. They, they push boundaries. They, they get used to that stress. They adapt to it. And then they, you know, they, they go out and they, they get more next time round. Um, so you think about sort of sales, general adaptation um, syndrome. You, you know, you apply stress to the body, you adapt to overcome. You know, we, we talk about it physically. Mm. It's the same mentally, you know. And, and my experience has been a lot of people out there with, mental health issues um they don't always want to talk about it because a lot of the time talking about it brings back the the negative aspects um but they they're people that they they can't there are a lot of people that they can cope with that mental illness they'll have um relapses they'll have you know those those moments those days those weeks where they're in a depressive state but that doesn't mean that necessarily they they have to talk about it a lot of the time they're able to cope with it themselves but it's understanding that there are people out there that don't have the tools that do go to that very dark place where they become, you know, suicidal. And because we've now made it so vogue in society and everybody's putting their hand up, I've got mental health, I've got mental health. We're now missing a lot of the individuals that really have got deep rooted trauma, hmm. mental trauma, depressive illness, particularly now with the advent of you know, 7 million people plus on the NHS waiting yeah. list, some people estimating 13 Crazy. million, um, that maybe aren't getting seen. And then you've got somebody who is actually just a little bit stressed at work and, or at home or in a relationship. And you know, I'm not saying that they're any less significant, hmm. but we've forgotten what it's like to be, to be stressed. Yeah. To, like you said, to have the people around us to maybe help us through simple things to get us up a rung of the ladder you know to you know it's, it's all right to have an argument with somebody or to fall out or to disagree yeah. you know and, and now we're in this society where it's like you know i disagree with you i'm cutting you off yeah. boom you know and that's as a family member doing it or a long-term friend or a yeah. peer i mean i kid you not in the last two years i've probably had five long-term friends just just wow. gone just like not even said you know and it's like wow some of these people i've i've been there for through thick and thin and really stuck neck yeah. out and they just but I speak to a lot of other people, Finn, and I'm not the only one. You know, mm. other people have been had had have been closed out, and I think you hit the nail on the head. We are we are selfish now. We're greedy. We you know, it's we 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 can have a bit of tunnel vision in you know just living life on you know virtually, mm. and we forget that many of us disagree on many things. But as long as you agree on on the fundamentals and most things, you know that's that's what yeah. matters that's why humans have evolved so well over millions of years but it's it seems that the rug has been pulled there mm. with with mental health with covid and other yeah. things and well, yeah i find it concerning now that i think we we're starting to lack a bit of mental resilience mm. as people not all of us but just you know well well potentially quite a few of us um and it's and we're we're introducing our young to a society where they never really experience stressful situations from an early age. And if you want to go into to bring this back to high performance, success, you know, whether you're an elite athlete or you know, it's in the workplace, you ain't ever going to get success or high up that, that ladder in life 
unless you ex are exposed to stressful situations, you learn, adapt, overcome, and supersede the next time round. For sure, for sure. And I think that there's just there's we. I remember years ago, you know, growing up in in a little prep school in in North Devon, and there was always a focus on tolerance, and the focus like you know people are different. You know that you don't have to like it but you know we've got to live in this society together and you've got to tolerate it and you know try to understand and, and maybe see a little bit from their viewpoint and empathy and, and these different elements that allowed us to coexist has seemed to have gone out the window in favor of polarization you're either if that person has that view you're against them if that person has that view they're yeah. wrong you know and both sides at the, at the ends of the spectrum both sides are as bad as each other like but but the voices yeah, get yeah. louder at each side of the spectrum and it, and it drives this division. And it's really hard to overcome because all of the middle ground voices get silenced because they're a little bit on one side and a little bit on the other side. And they have views that conflict with each of the corresponding dogmas on each side. So it's very hard for people to speak up with any degree of um, certainty without being shot down by one side or the other. You know, you might be against yeah, both totally, sides. You're yeah. against extremes. But... In that middle yeah. ground, you are an extreme. You're an extreme centrist. You know, there's nothing but <laughs> extremes now. No, you're right. And um, it's come back to what we were saying earlier on, the, you know, the, the media, that's that's the voice that people are seeing. If all they do is watch what's on the telly or what's on the radio or, you know, social media with all the algorithms and censorship that's going on and the misinformation associated with, with what you are seeing and what mm. we're alluding to, it's um, it just it drives those extreme ends of the spectrum, but it also adds to it because who are the people that are sitting down watching TV that are on the social mm. media and have the time to do all that? Well, it's it's our young, it's our offspring. So we've got these generations now that are, are going through life with lacking maybe the tools and the opportunities that we had in, in sport and, you know, getting out and communicating face-to-face, -face, you know, playing with mates, you know, breaking legs, you know, getting cuts, bruises, you name it, um, having mum's home cooking or, 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 or grandpa, yeah. grandparents' home cooking and, you know, or whatever it might be, it's all, it's, it's a lot less in the Western world particularly. Mm. Um, sure. So that's why I always find it, it's, it's humbling when I, when I see and hear of people, like I've got a friend who's just been out and climbed Mount Everest um, recently, an old client, and, you know, seeing some of the, the photographs and the footage of, you know, people in the Himalaya and whilst it's been commercialized to a degree, quite a high degree in some areas, you still have people on planet Earth that exist as as nature intended. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, to come back to mental health, I think um yeah, it's it's definitely a topic that is worthy of note, but it's something that we're we're probably fueling as a society ourselves a lot more than we realise. And when I say fueling, mm. I mean not fueling awareness, yeah. but actually fueling mental health in each other and our yeah. actions, where we just kind of cutting people off, you know, particularly close people. Um, mm. It's yeah, that that's only going to add to it because many people do yeah. it. As, you know, as I mean, I touched on. I think I think it's it's very difficult to um, to understand what is driving. Um, people's mentality at the moment because it, certainly as you mentioned there are people at the, you know obviously extreme view people at the top of Everest or base camp of Everest who are living these sort of um 
lives as nature intended or lives as i don't know i hate i hate that phrase actually because we are a part of nature and our and our human spirit is driving nature so everything we do is you know technically natural although we don't see it as natural um it's just that how much of that drive is coming from people who are engaging with the latest technology i.e like a lot of our discourse and even political discourse comes from twitter or comes from the chatter on social media when there are a load of people yeah. um who aren't engaging in the conversation in that spectrum um as well as as well as the way sort of for example things like YouGov polling is done like the only time i had um i had experience with YouGov polling was when i was when we were locked down in the pandemic and i had nothing else to do like I thought, you know what, I'm, this, this seems like my only vessel as, re- as well as writing to my MP. Like this seemed like my only channel of communication to say I wasn't happy with something because anything on Twitter would get shot down. Anything on social media yeah. was, was construed in, in a very negative light. So the only way to get something across, I felt, was on, on YouGov poll. And even in that context it made it very difficult to actually get an opinion across, one, because of the way the questions were worded, and two, because at, at the first instance, you were only selected for certain surveys. You couldn't choose to do certain surveys. So they were automatically selecting the people they wanted to hear from. So, you know, I was sort of going through this rigmarole of answering questions on do I like Ariana Grande and what sort of phone am I most likely to buy next? So, and, and I was thinking, is this our best course of action? You know, aside from writing to the MP, which got a very cut, cut and paste response. Is this our best course of action for driving forward the narrative in our society? Are these are options, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, yeah. Yeah. a sort of shot in the dark with a letter to an MP or a YouGov poll where you can't answer the questions that you want. I mean, it's very hard to get that voice across to the people in power. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, I think that's why it's been refreshing to see that even with all of that, happening and the very clear restrictions in being able to to get a voice and you know get a vote or get a you know, get an opinion across somewhere there have been people that have been able to to break through i mean let's let's go to the, the you know the peaceful protests that were happening globally you know and the videos were being shut down articles you know media outlets were looking the other way certainly the mainstream media and yet it still got through that millions of people in Australia alone, Canada, you know, the trucker movements, you know, figures that I mentioned earlier, you know, your, your Dr. Mm. Robert Malone's, you know, your, your Steve James, they still managed to find a way um, by, by luck or by clever placing of themselves to get, to get word out. And if it wasn't for that, who knows who knows how bad it would be now yeah. Finn? i mean that's that's you know we're in some respects we're lucky because we're in a bit of a a lull at the moment but with all the other things that are happening in the world you know today you know clearly the the, the russia ukraine conflict is which has been going on for so long anyway that a lot of people are oblivious to that mm. fact um you know we've got the the monkey pox that's now yeah. kind of just Watch finding its space. way but a lot of people are kind of looking the other way at the moment uh, you just there's so many things that happen in society the climate change or the gender talk um there's so many different ideologies that are all being pushed at the moment it's yeah it makes you just th- just makes you think right people like you and i who do look outside the box and think maybe a bit more critically than your average joe it does make you wonder what what's next mm. but the good thing is when you are thinking and you're working 
day to day in a domain that that means right i need to think to, to do my job or you know to, to get through work whatever it is um you're more likely to be resilient to, to the next thing that comes mm. up and there are people there are people today living their best lives yeah 100%. <laughs> as a result of covid and they're all they tend to be unvaccinated people that went you know what i'm not having anything to do with any of this i might lose my job depending where i am in the world yeah. uh, might lose my livelihood might not get a supply chain for food to feed my family, you know, for the next couple of weeks or whatever. But there are people out there that have just reverted to type and focused on what matters most, mm. getting some exposure to daily sunlight, eating real food, you know, a little bit of fasting here and there, moving more, talking to people that want to, you know, engage in conversation. And 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 guess what? That's that's all you need to live a healthy, happy life. 100%. 100%. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons I ended up in Mexico, you know. I uh, and I probably would still be in England now if it wasn't for the pandemic. So you know, maybe I should yeah. be. I, I'm actually pretty grateful that it occurred. Um, although I should watch my words, so I'll get absolutely lampooned for that phrase. <laughs> um, but let's. Um, we've been speaking for just over an hour now. I'm just curious to learn a little bit about you know you and and what your training goals are. Like I know you've done Ironmans, you've done marathons, you've done mountaineering stuff. So what are you focusing on at the moment? Yeah. So. And normally I would sort of do an Ironman event each year. Obviously COVID put a stop to that. Um, so I've just basically the last couple of years, I've just focused on health, you know, tried to be injury, injury resilient, tried to maintain good endurance, good strength. Um, where we're located is quite nice. So my sort of typical week, I'll do some climbing, some cycling, some, some running, um, bit of strength training in my home studio and uh, event wise on the horizon. I'm, not to be too boring i'm just ticking a few things off the bucket list now so doing sort of rounds of mountainous areas in the uk i did a marathon back in april um at manchester back end of the year i might i might do an ironman if things are looking promising for for sort of travel and not too many sort of restrictions because obviously things are opening up Um, but on the horizon yeah just it's really for me now life is about um just staying Mm -hmm. healthy trying to stay fit in numerous avenues of strength endurance and the, the hobbies that i'm into and and yeah obviously with, with the little one my four-year-old that's really my 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 true yeah. focus um is her sort of upbringing sheltering her from you know what what she needs to be sheltered from in in society today and we've got another one due in november so yeah, uh, well congrats if, if i did have any goals for next year onwards i might have to put a few of them on hold <laughs> yeah, mate. rejigged rejigged the schedule for that yeah so sorry I, i'm not i'm sorry i'm a little bit boring now i'm not shouting out or oh, i'm going off to compete here and there or anywhere it's it really is just oh, about, all right. i can know, always delete the recording right, there's, there's things i want to do you know <laughs> I did a nine and a half hour Ironman a couple of years back. I've wow. always wanted to break nine hours. Yeah. So at some point I'll, I'll try that one. Yeah. Um, I'd like to beat my marathon PB at 245. So one, one year I'll, hopefully I'll strike it lucky and, uh, and that will happen. Get, and, get, um, ahead, get, get a win yeah, there's behind some, you. Some big mountains I want to climb as well, Finn, around the world so that now that travel is starting to happen again, who knows, maybe in a few years that, that might happen as What's well. What's on the list? I'd, I've, I'd love to do an 8,000er. So yeah, like a lot of people obviously they honeypot towards everest yeah. um but obviously there's yeah a few eight thousanders to choose from so yeah maybe um maybe something like that and i've never been to south america so yeah, i've always wanted to go to the andes and you know maybe tick off a sort of a remote peak down that way as well yeah. so epic yeah we'll we'll see epic and um last question um what's in your home gym what's in your home studio what kit have you got 
So I've got a power cage. So for obviously, hopefully most people know what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Barbell with plenty of plates for, for me and clients. Uh, kettlebells from four kilo to 40 kilos. Yeah. A nice big matted area with a freestanding punch bag. I've got a watt bike in there. Um, Epic. Yeah, Parallettes, TRX, all. Um, I don't like to use the word functional because, you know, you could be yeah. functional even on, you know, resistance kit in your average um, fitness suite. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's all, all geared around free weights and natural movement patterns, you yeah. know, as opposed to... Um, yeah, most rickety kit that you've got in nice. a lot of. Have you got? Uh, have you got bumper plates in there? You got Olympic plates? Can you? Can you? Can you? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I got there. about two hundred and fifty kilos of Olympic okay, plates. Nice, <laughs> nice. That's the key. Uh, I wish I could squat squat them all in one go, but uh, I'm not yeah, there one yet. by one is fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Al. Thanks so much for for coming along and talking to me. It's been really interesting. I think we could have gone on for a lot longer there. Maybe we'll, we'll speak again about some of the topics in here. Um, but if people, yeah, yeah, there's lots of uh, lots of rabbit holes. Oh, we can honestly, go down. some of them, some of them, best to just leave unprodded for now. Um, but um, <laughs> if people want to hear more about you or, or understand a bit more about you, where can they find you? Uh, best thing is just to type my name, Al Hadnet, or Pig Fusion, my company name, on on a, on a search engine, and then they'll get everything they need to know. So they'll arrive at my website, uh, pigfusionuk.com, or they'll get one of my um, social media platforms and yeah and then they can either email get in touch if they're in the uk um face to face and also do a lot online um as well as over the phone etc try to use all the different uh, methods that are there to stay in touch with people whatever suits most people best epic okay thanks a lot mate really appreciate it speak soon will do cheers Ben. bye for now